Good morning. This Good. is Melissa Hale Spencer at the Altamont Enterprise, and today we're talking to Gail Sacco. Welcome, Gail. Thank you. Good morning. And Gail is the library director at the Voorheesville Library, but she is stressing, and you can put it in your own words. Um, opinions are my own opinions. I'm not representing the library um, in terms of my opinions. They are solely my own and not the libraries. And that's great because I know you have really interesting opinions. <laughs> and what started this and having Gail come in to talk to us today was um, we were discussing a series on diversity and she had so many thoughts on it that I thought would be good to share. But before we do that, I just want to hear a little about Gail herself because I really don't know a lot. Like, where are you from? How did you become a librarian? I became a librarian because I'm a reader. I was a kid who always had a book with me, and, you know, books are a really good escape. When you go visit relatives you don't want to see, you open a book, and they say, oh, she's reading a book. Oh, let's leave her alone. She's reading a book. Um, I was a big reader, and people said, oh, when you grow up, you're going to be a librarian. And it turns out that that was indeed the case. Um, started working in libraries when I was... 14 in the local public library as a page. And where was that? In Stamford, Connecticut, oh. which is part of the greater New York City metropolitan area. Um, I joke because our news came from New York City, ABC, NBC, CBS. I went to college in Boston, to Boston University, and I was shocked because I thought the whole world got New York City news. And lo and behold, they did not. Um, and uh, I went to Boston University. I was an American Studies major. It was the end of the Vietnam War, so I had some experiences. It was the year after there were no finals, so 19, I started 71. There were no finals the spring of 1970. I don't know if you remember that. I do exactly. It was <laughs> my era as well. That's right. Yes. That's yeah. right. And... Um, so uh, I was there for four years. I remember I worked in food service. I worked, um, I lived on the 12th floor of a dorm, and they had alarms at 3 in the morning, and we had to leave because the war protest was so violent and so such a big deal in Boston. Um, and then I uh, got my master's from the University of Chicago, and so here I am. So these are two big city places, and you ended up in quiet, bucolic Voorheesville. How did that happen? Uh, through my husband. I met my husband in college, and he ended up here, and I ended up here with him. And it was a big adjustment because I lived outside of New York City. I lived in Boston. I lived in Chicago. And people said, oh, Albany, it's so much better than it used to be. And I was like, oh, Albany. <laughs> <laughs> but I've really grown to love it here. You know, there's, um, there's a lot of beauty. I really like the fact that the people are more subdued. You go to New York City and they're like, look at me, look at me, I'm great. I have all this education. I have all this money. I'm really important. And you come to Albany and you meet these people who have very rich um, backgrounds and intellectual life and you've known them for 10 years and you may not know that 
that's what it's all about. And I love the outdoors here. I just love, love the outdoors. And Boysville is really a special place. The whole, this whole particular area is really a special place. And of course, it's the capital of New York. So. It is. And I think it's lucky to have you. So tell me about the diversity series. What prompted it? Why did, as wonderful as you describe Voorheesville as being, it's largely a white community. Um, what what made the library decide or you decide it was important for people to look at diversity, to think about it? It's not just Voorheesville. It's the whole area. If you look at the demographics of the area, if you look at demographics of Voorheesville, um, there's very few people of color. Um, people have ethnic backgrounds, but there's very few people who bring their ethnicity as a first generation um, into the area. And the demographics, the census demographics, Census demographics um, show that. But I actually, when my kids were growing up, we used to go to the cities. We'd go to New York, and I'd say, so how many languages do you hear? And how many different faces do you see? It's changed a little bit, I think, because of the nanotechnology and the things that are going on at the university. Um, we're certainly seeing more, more um, ethnicity, more people of different backgrounds in the library. But even if you look at Albany proper, um, there's segregation. There's a lot of segregation in Albany proper. So Well, just to intercede and back up a little, I'm interested in this as a mother. <clears throat> so these trips that you took with your children, I, I seem to think, do they live in cities now? Do they live... Um, My son's living in Brooklyn, and so he, he loves it. Yeah. Uh, my daughter is living in Aspen, Colorado, and she does not like the lack of diversity there, but she adores the outdoors. So that was the other part of their upbringing. Right. <laughs> still right. Yeah. And I don't know how long she's going to stay there, um, but she she finds that there's a lack of diversity there. It's the end of the highway, but it's incredibly beautiful out there. So, okay, yeah. well, so now I took you off track to get back to this idea of looking at the demographics. So the library consciously decided, or you did, that it was time yeah, to... Yeah, we decided it was, it was time to do that. I had a couple of experiences that stopped me short. Um, as a middle-class, upper-middle-class white woman, I thought, who watched with my generation, probably as you did... From my point of view, there's more, let's talk about blacks, there's more blacks in um, positions of authority. There's more black business people. You see just in general, um, from my point of view, there's a little bit more integration in neighborhoods. And I thought, oh, well, things are getting better. And um, my family went to the Grand Tetons and we drove through... Last summer, we drove through um, Wyoming from Denver up to the Grand Teton. So it's a diagonal from the southeast corner to the northwest corner. The Tetons are just below Yellowstone. They, they butt against each other. Miles and miles and miles of nothing, of sagebrush, flatness, an occasional house, a whole different culture was there. We listened to a This American Life 
about that we had downloaded about um, a black man on a Friday night driving a car, driving a bicycle with a white uh, boy on his handlebars through New York City and being stopped by the police. And there was a writer who had gotten permission to ride with these policemen. Um, They totally humiliated this black man for no reason whatsoever. The story just got worse and worse and worse. Who are you? What are you doing? Sit down, put your legs out, don't speak. The gentleman tried to explain. The police said, I told you not to speak. With He was just treated really poorly. The white boy who was about 10 was trying to talk. Um, and it turned out that this black gentleman was dating the boy's mom and taking the boy home. And I think the thing that caught me short was um, at the end, the police got back into the car and they had no recognition that they had behaved in a way that perhaps they should not have behaved. And I'm saying that hesitantly because I think police are good people. I'm not trying to condemn or say, but they just didn't have the training, the diversity training or the understanding. It stopped, I mean, it just um, So you were listening to this as your family was As our family was driving bridge. through this whole culture <laughs> that's totally different, totally different than what we live in Albany. You know, that's a culture where they have guns for protection, and they live a very isolated kind of life. It's just very different, very, very different. Um so, and then I came back and uh, I spoke to someone who lives in this area, a white woman married to a black man who I've known for a long time, who has children that have dark skin. And she works full time, and the kids have a babysitter, and the babysitter um, taught the children to cut through the yards of the neighborhood to get home, which... I used to do that when I was a kid. Sure, you know, was that's, out what about, kids do. that's what kids do. She told her children, don't you ever, ever, ever do that. Because she is a boy, and she said, so when my son's 13 and he has black skin and he's in some backyard, somebody's going to call the police on him in our community, in a community where she lived, where one would think one would know the children. And I've told that story to a few people and um, they validated that that's true, that those are the kinds of things that happen in upstate New York in the capital region to people of color. So um, that was really my gestalt about, about, oh, I thought, here I thought I was like, generous and inclusive and understanding and supportive. And I was like, whoa, I didn't even know about, I didn't even think below the surface of it. And I, I think that um, that's really important. It's really important for us to recognize that there are, there is a level of understanding about people's everyday lives that you need to take a look at and you need to be cognizant of and in the case of diversity stand up for. So, you know, what does that mean? Um, 
It means that if you're going into a mosque, you should be respectful of their beliefs. And if you're a female, you should cover yourself because that's their beliefs and that's what they think. It means that um, if there's a, a religion like an Orthodox Jew who they separate the men and the women into two areas, you have to respect the fact that the people who believe that choose that and like it and not just condemn it on the surface. You have to look at it from um, a different point of view. A, a number of years ago, I was in Crossgates, and there was this old woman. Um, she was from, I don't know where she was from. She was from um, one of the Arab countries, Iraq, Afghanistan, one of those countries. Apparently her daughter lives in our area. This was maybe five or six years ago. Um, she, the woman didn't speak English. She was somewhat lost. I walked into Crossgates, um, and she, you could tell she was covered. She was wearing a long dress. She had her head covered. Um, she was probably 70, 75 maybe. She was old. Um, I shouldn't say 75 is old, but she, you know she, she was old. And she didn't speak English well. She had a piece of paper with where she lived. The last thing in the world that she would do is go to a Crossgates security guard to ask for help, something that Americans would do without even thinking about it. Because in her country that she came from, people in uniforms hurt you. Yeah. So, so I mean, my thing is, you have to, you, we have to start stepping back, and not be complacent, and start to actually understand some of the struggles that those of us who have not grown up with privilege, or with whiteness, or with whatever, actually are trying to grapple with. So, um, so that's a pretty tall order. <laughs> and you start, you take little you start, steps, yeah. <laughs> but. So what does the tell me a little about the library series itself? I know we covered the very first event right. that you shared with the Methodist Church in Voorheesville where there was a Islamic woman who spoke and she's going to be doing our next podcast. So oh, we'll be hearing great. more from her. But um <clears throat> one of the things that came out of that there was an incident there where um a man was very rude. And when I was talking to you about it, you had something to say that I've heard many people comment on. We even had a letter writer, a poet from Westerlo, Diane Sefcik, that wrote us a letter about your comment. I don't know if you saw it. And it was the idea that it's pretty much what you were just saying now. You have to kind of see what the speaker was saying from his point of view. And you felt like he was speaking from a place of conviction. And I just wonder... In the course of that conversation, you told me that you grew up in a family or grew up in a way that um, it wasn't just that free speech mattered, which I think matters to all of us, but it was um, the way you talked about it. If you could just talk a little about maybe your family or where you got this kind of sense of what speech should be or could be, or how you take people that seem aggressive and try to get to their core and understanding who they are. Well, it's the the conversation that, that I've been having with my colleagues and with my friends is we're in a time where we're seeing the things that 
divide us. And this is my opinion. Um, Yesterday, they kept newspapers, the president kept newspapers out of a, um, a briefing. And to me, that was an action to create a divide. Because... Now the all of the news media have to decide how they feel about it and what they're going to do about it. So a group of people that were in harmony now had something happen that divided them. So they need to decide, are they going to continue to allow themselves to be divided? Are they going to stand together? Are they going to share information? How are they going to um, respond to that? And I feel like we are in a situation where... People are looking at how we're different when actually we have, we're like two circles that intersect. We have a large, uh, a lore, a large commonality. So a conversation yesterday, um, so you have somebody who is in the coal mining area who, um, they're devastated. You know, their income, their their income has been greatly diminished and they're really struggling. And whatever is going to happen with that industry will happen with that industry, but concern about jobs and income is a common conversation. So if you come at it with the idea that, well, I don't know if it, what's going to happen with the coal industry, but Let's talk about jobs. You know, let's talk about the ways people earn their livings. Let me understand, you know, what this economic change means to you. Then someone who is two people who are at two opposite ends of the pole can come together about something that we care about, which is that people work. We all care about the fact that people work. And I, th- what I heard this gentleman say was disruptive. He did not break any laws. He was scary. He's very scary. But he did not threaten anybody. He left when he was asked to leave. And um, he said things that people didn't like to hear. But he, he said them, I heard, from a place of deep conviction, not from a place of just trying to cause a disruption. So when I look at the town hall meetings, I see the same thing happening. People speaking from deep inside of themselves, um, not saying, saying what they mean loudly and emphatically and sometimes not, not nicely. And so you have to say, okay, so why is he feeling that way? And... How can we? How can we help that? Um, how can we help that end? And it's it's complex. I mean, that's a simple thing, but it's complex because it's also about your experiences growing up. There was a film, um, a film that I saw. Um, it was about a camp. Two two. It's a camp in New Jersey that brings. Uh, girls, there were Israeli Jewish girls, uh, Muslim Christians, and Muslims and Christians. There were twelve girls. They come together for a camp, 
And there's a girl who said to, a Muslim girl who said to an Israeli girl in this film, you need to go back to where you came from. And the Israeli girl said, I was born in Israel. What do you mean? And the Muslim girl said, you need to go back to where your family came from. And the Jewish girl said, well, that's Iran, and Iran kills Jews. But this Muslim girl grew up in a devastated part of Israel, or Palestine, whatever you would like to call it. And her father died because they couldn't, they couldn't get through the rubble with medical help to save him. So her experience colored, um, colored her whole lens at looking at Israel and Jewish people. Another girl who came from a different background that, and didn't have those horrible experiences was able to build bridges. So my hope with the diversity um, series is to just to get people to start thinking and taking little steps towards some of these issues and some of this, this other culture. Yeah, because the question becomes... <clears throat> sort of a camp that's set up that way, you know, with equal numbers of young people that might still be shaped, the question becomes, how do we have a common meeting ground? (coughs) And I, of course, being a newspaper editor, like to think it happens on the pages of our paper. But tell me why the library is a good place to have a common meeting ground. Because the library is politically neutral. The library is a place that um, serves the truth, um, librarians are trained, so you know Google brings up or Reddit brings up what's most popular. Um, we bring up what's most accurate, um, and because we we are paid by the communities, so we work on behalf of the communities. And our history and heritage is to be able to um, help people learn and grow and think and to be able to answer their questions honestly and accurately. That's a great answer. I love it. So tell me now about this series at the library. Okay, so we have a roundtable we've been having. The next meeting is March 3rd. Um, It's been going on for about a year. It's called the Voorheesville Roundtable. It's a place for... Uh, to break down some of the silos, people are busy and um, busy doing their jobs, and so it's not a place. It's just a place to learn what's happening and talk. So that will be on March third, next Saturday in the afternoon. And, and anyone we'll be, welcome to this? Anybody would be welcome to come. Um, the three things on our agenda are to talk about the diversity initiative. And um, also, uh, we're going to have a conversation about what's going on with the barn um, in Boriesville. Doug LaGrange is going to be there. And somebody from the village um, is also going to be there to talk about some of the things that are happening um, in the village. The village is working on a comprehensive plan. The diversity initiative, we've developed a logo, um, and we have some magnets. You're welcome to come and get a magnet. And we're asking. It's a beautiful logo. <laughs> it's got leaves of all different colors that are swirling around. It's really nice. Yeah. yeah. Who and, designed that? Uh, we have a graphic artist on staff who is. She's just very gifted in yeah. terms of how she looks at things. Um, and 
so we're asking people if they have programs or that they think uh, will point at something that includes di- its diversity. Oh, I'm losing it. Um, I'll look it up in a minute. But if they have something that they think will support diversity, equity, um, justice, or tolerance, that they stamp their public relations with our logo. And it can be mild. We had a book discussion on, uh, it's called The the Kitchen House. It's about slavery times, a white girl who sold into slavery in a black house in the 1800s, and we stamped that. Uh, If you're having a cooking class, because we're not trying to make big statements, we're just trying to get people to think a little bit about different ways of life. You know, if you're having an Italian cooking class and it's ethnic, it's it's authentic Italian, use our logo when you advertise it so people will understand that they're going to be learning about another, another culture. culture. Mm-hmm. So we invite you to contact me at the library to get that. Um, we are also, we, we're looking for some volunteers to help us get some of these things done. We are going to, we had the Muslim program. We co-sponsored with the Methodist Church. We had a speaker come. We're hoping to get um, a group of uh, people and probably, it would probably be priests, rabbis, ministers, um, maybe imams, to talk about lifestyle event, life cycle events. What do the different cultures do when you have a birth? How do they recognize adulthood? Um, what happens in a marriage, just so that people can start to understand that we all do something when a child is born and the, the, maybe some of the things that are in common, but also just to create some understanding. Um, we're having a four-part series on race and the Constitution. I really want you to talk about that because the little you told me about that was fascinating. Um, Steve Hamowitz, who lives in... The area, um, and is a lawyer, is going to be talking about race and the Constitution. From f- it's a five-part series. It's going to be on Monday nights, um, and it starts with just uh, race and the law, and it goes into housing. And but what he's going to do is look at it from the legal point of view. And at the end, I think he's going to have a moot court in the last one um, with people to demonstrate how a discussion about race might end up in a courtroom and how that discussion might proceed in a courtroom. And he's invited some guests from Albany Law School who are people of color. One of them is the president of the Albany Black Student Law Association to be part of that. So, so that starts, I believe, um, on March 20th, but let me check. And again, this is something anyone in the public is invited to. Do you have to sign up ahead? We're asking you... for registration. Okay, it's on the calendar. Just so we have an idea of how many people are coming, we can make sure that the chairs and everything is the way it should be. So as you're looking up, she's on her phone trying to find the correct dates, Um this idea I kind of like with this logo that can be spread far and wide. Um, these, this use of it, is it 
for just the Voorheesville community, or is it something that, you know, someone listening in another community might be doing a similar kind of event? Or I'm happy it- to have anybody use it. We would prefer that it not be used for commercial purposes because it's that's not the reason that we put it together. So we have racism by law on Monday, March 20th. We have the slow road to citizenship on Monday, April 3rd. We have challenging private discrimination in housing jobs and daily life on Monday, April 17th. Criminal justice controversies, the explosion in incarceration on Monday, April 24th. The debates about affirmative action and voting barriers on Monday, May 1st. It's an adult ed kind of class, which means there's no outside preparation. We are going to have some resources and some movies available for people to borrow if they would like to explore a little bit more, but there isn't any preparation or anything required for the classes. And the um, logo says Tolerance, Diversity, Equity, and Justice. All very important words. All very important words. Yeah. So that series seems to be different than some of the other things you've talked about. It's almost like a very intellectual sort of um, grappling with the reality of the laws as opposed to just how people live or how they feel about other people. It seems to be getting down to kind of more nuts and bolts things, which in this era to me seems particularly important because um, a lot of civil liberties that many of us took for granted and were codified in law of some sort um, are perhaps on the verge of being eroded by new directives and just kind of having a understanding of that was it timed at all because of the current administration or is it just something that happened at this time or somebody came to the her I was talking about the diversity initiative with Steve and he was very interested in presenting the program and that's what I would say is I don't see this I see this as an initiative that can be facilitated by the library but I really see it as being driven by the community and, and he's a lawyer. And he's he a lawyer. And he's a lawyer in the community. What strikes me is I did not realize that a federal court in California could put a stay on an executive order for the whole United States. It's a federal court. Somebody said, it's a federal court. I said, I know, but <laughs> I just, I don't understand. I've taken for granted our government, so I'm also looking forward to learning more well, that's about what I this. And yeah. I think a lot of yeah. us now are paying a lot more attention, um, and it's a good time to have those yeah. kinds of presentations. Yeah. I do need to stress, though, that we need to look at what's common between us. We can't allow ourselves to be stratified and divided from the community around us. We have to respect everybody for what they offer and what they have in common with us and learn to understand them better. And I think in today's world, you really need to take, it's really important to take that point of view. It's really important to say, um, I want to learn more about you I want to find out why you think what you think. You don't need to yell at me about it. You know, let's talk. 
and maybe I won't agree, but at least I'll have a better understanding of what of what's what's going on. The cemetery um, desecration in St. Louis, St. Louis, the whole community came and cleaned up that cemetery. It was not um, just Jews that came or just political people. The whole community, people of all ages, came because they they said desecrating a cemetery and making that statement about about Jewish people is a horrible thing. And that was a very strong statement because they worked together. I think that's a wonderful final thought for our podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you. It's been enlightening. Really, thank you.